is a business as mission podcast. Business as mission. I'm Gaya Boyd, your host. I came across the very uncomfortable awareness that all of my ideas, my basic understanding of Christianity, of how it operates, of my role in it, were wrong. In this podcast series, we want to discover kingdom keys for business. I'll do that together with Bill John. Bill is an experienced BAM practitioner. By the way, BAM is short for business as mission. Bill is from the US and lived 30 years in China, where he had handicraft factories. He saw God move tangibly in the workspace. We met at our BAM Congress in the Netherlands. Bill was one of the main speakers and he turned out to be so contagious. His stories made me curious and I wondered, does that only happen far away or can God move as tangibly here, within and through businesses in the Netherlands? or at your business in Africa, America, or Asia. In this podcast series, I'll interview Bill. At other times, he will be my co-host, as we invited guests who are eager to see God move within their own businesses. So listen, as we discuss ideas, experiences, and challenges, they might be yours as well. If this podcast makes you curious and you want to dig deeper, Go to bearmoves.com. There you find a hybrid training and coaching environment, which we are developing. In this episode, I'm talking to Bill. We will learn how his ideas were transformed during his journey as a BAM business leader in China. Hello, here. So good to see you. Yeah. Uh, Bill, you were 30 years business leader there. Tell us, what kind of businesses did you have anyway? Well, we started off with small businesses. And the intention was to stay small for five years because we knew we didn't know anything. And we were going to make lots and lots of mistakes in the business. And so we thought, why don't we keep the business small, make the mistakes, learn something, and then we'll have a chance to grow from that. And that was not a bad strategy. Yeah, that sounds pretty (laughs) wise. I mean, I heard from Du that you are a risk taker. Well, you know... Maybe your your wife whispered something in your ear. <laughs> we don't always make them the biggest risk possible. Sometimes we do try to minimize them. And so the first company got started with the help of a friend in the States that uh, I had been discipling. And we had the chance to get a business license for a $10,000 investment. His interest was, or maybe hobby is a better word, was making hand-tied fishing flies. So we decided to see... Hand-tied fishing flies. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm living here in the Netherlands. We have small ditches. We have a normal, you know, fishing fishing lot. (laughs) Tell me me a bit more. There's two basic categories of ways to fish, as I understand it. One is the normal, where you use a lure, a hook, and a worm, and that type of thing. The other is... Uh, an attempt at being a bit more sophisticated where you take a small hook and you attach natural items like chicken feathers or deer hair or some unnatural, some man-made items and make the hook look like a bug that the fish would eat. And so you hand tie on all of these elements to the hook. That's why it's called a hand-tied fishing fly. When we began to do this in China, our employees kept asking, what is this for? What is this for? And we would explain to them and they go, oh, your fish in America are really stupid. <laughs> our fish would never go for that. <laughs> but today there's quite a thriving industry, I believe, over there. And so 
I went with the first opportunity. My friend uh, wanted to do this. He would loan us or invest the $10,000 necessary to get a license. And just as a side note, that opportunity only lasted a few months. And then the request was a half a million dollar investment. Then you could probably talk them down to 150000 So as you walk with the Lord, you'll find there are windows of opportunities at various times. And that if you have the courage to step through, you may be able to achieve an opportunity or so, make something up. So what happened? You had this small business and yeah. there was an investor who... So my friend put up the $10,000 and it was simply putting it in the bank. We got to use the money in the company, but it was a commitment. And then he came over and trained uh, five workers how to make these flies that were his hobby. And the plan was for him to then uh, design his own and sell in the States. Tragically... We went for uh, less than a year, and he became very ill with what is known in the U.S. as ALS, or sometimes Lou Gehrig's disease, and he passed away at the age of 36. And so I didn't have his contacts, or I didn't really have the interest, and so we needed to change from that business to another business. And so we began that process, and then we ran across the Tiananmen Square situation, which stopped all international business in China. Mm -hmm. So I received a phone call. This was in which year? That was 89. So I received a, a phone call from the U.S. consulate, essentially ordering me out of the company country. But my plans had already included my wife and kids would go back to the States on the following day, on a Monday. And so I stayed and ended up switching from that business to a local business that we could do without needing to import and export things. So was it a kind of a dangerous time for you also to be around then? I believe it. you probably could say that. Nobody really knew what was going to actually happen. Uh, it could have erupted in a kind of civil war. But uh, I felt, and this may be important to mention, I felt the assignment was clear. I felt like my family was safe, and so I should just stay. Um, this probably speaks to the issue of clarity of assignments. So I think sometimes because we don't even think of assignments, we don't get a lot of clarity. And I think we have the right on our side of the equation with the Lord to leverage clarity. If you look in scripture, I cannot find anyone who God is speaking to who is unclear about the message. It just seems to be universally true. If you think about it, it's really quite amazing. And so I take that as a position we can leverage with the Lord. And if he's trying to tell me something, but he's not yet clear, I say, well, the responsibility is still in his court. <laughs> my responsibility is listen and obey. If I get clarity, I'll obey. The decision is pre-made. But I don't want to make decisions when I'm not clear on them. Well, this is an interesting thought to, you say, you know, when I'm not clear, I'm like, oh, I need to seek God more and I need to really pray now because I'm still not sure, but you are like, oh, let's relax a bit, which actually from my own experience helps too. When you're relaxed, you seem to be more receptive. That's right. Yes. Okay. Uh -huh. When I work hard at it, I inject more of my own thoughts and wishes into the process, I think. And probably the biggest or the most common mistake I make is confusing my thoughts with his. Mm -hmm. And so, for instance, if let's say my car is broken down and old and I waste a lot of time, maybe he'll say, Bill, it's time to get a new car. 
And I might fill in, and it should be a Mercedes. <laughs> and so that's what I get caught, adding my words to his, and I've learned not to do that. Coming back to, you know, you needed to change to another business. Mm -hmm. So what happened? Well, we got ideas on how to do things locally. So we ran a local sandblasting business that was really very successful. We should have asked more clarity of the Lord because there was no barrier of entry, which means when our employees saw what we could do, what we were doing, they could actually have access to all of the equipment is all local. Well, why don't they have their own company? So we actually de evolved into a training center. <laughs> we developed like 14 competitors. Sandblasting. Yeah, glass. Uh, glass. That's okay. all it is. Mm -hmm. oh, I'm com coming from sh a shipping background, and we sandblast to get the rest of the ship. Yes, that's true. <laughs> so we can put what's called a mask on a piece of glass, leaving some exposed, and you hit that with a sandblasting device, and the sand hitting the glass will etch it. Mm -hmm. So you can create a design okay. on the surface of a glass. So it's very simple technology. But they did not have it. We introduced it, and then we became a training center. And then you, you produced all these competitors. That's, right. That's right. And so we kept going back, and this is where you really want to get a handle on the Sermon on the Mount. Like, Lord, is this good or bad? Is competition good or bad? They, they seem like they come and steal my designs. Are they an enemy? of mine or the enemy of yours. And what we eventually discerned was, well, it's a really good thing to des designate someone as an enemy because now you know exactly what to do with them. <laughs> so now you bless them, you pray oh. for them. <laughs> you you do exactly what the Sermon on the Mount says. And now you have clarity again, and that's good. But let me pull the conversation back to what we had actually planned to talk about a little bit as well. And that was the realization that as I started living there, operating businesses and getting some experience, I came across the very uncomfortable awareness that all of my ideas about how this was going to operate were wrong. And so I went through a multi-year re-education process. Wrong in the sense of business planning or how you are? It's worse than that. <laughs> it was wrong in the sense of my basic worldview. My basic understanding of Christianity in many ways, of how it operates, of my role in it, of what I am to do. But you attended seminary. Oh, yes. Wasn't that great? <laughs> uh, and I honor those people and the intention and the labor and the work and even the financial support they gave us. But what I found is that seminaries represent a particular viewpoint of the whole picture of the kingdom. It's looking from one angle at yes, something. right. One angle from a seminary viewpoint looking at business. Right. Well, you get, hmm, business, they might support a seminary. You know? <laughs> That's true. <laughs> That's one viewpoint. That is true, yes. But I understand that it wasn't that helpful for you as a Christian seeking how to integrate faith and business. It really wasn't. If, if I can just add a clarifying statement, I come out of the U.S. culture And so I have picked up ideas that I'm not even aware I picked up. Every country and every culture does this. So now I have a citizenship, it says, in a city in heaven. I have a citizenship in the New Jerusalem. So if I think of there 
that is uh, representing a passport. So I've two passports that I carry. One is the U.S. passport, and the other is the passport to the kingdom. And let's say that the U.S. passport is physical and fixed in size, and the passport to the kingdom actually is not physical, and it can grow or shrink depending on its importance. And the goal, I think, is to have the kingdom passport grow bigger than my American passport, which would mean that the cultural values of the kingdom, which I'm learning, would dominate the cultural values of the U.S. And for really simple way to kind of clarify this. So it's your identity. Yes. The glasses through which you see being a Christian, being a business person for God. Yes. It's the glasses are colored by your education, mm-hmm. you know, even if it's a seminary. Right. Colored by your upbringing, yeah. your context, your culture. Everybody has this problem. It's unavoidable because uh, we all have I'm a, Dutch. But, I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> you're, I know. You're closer to being correct than we are, but there's still probably some things that you might discover. <laughs> I'm kind of thinking, you know, when you fly into the Netherlands, you see all these boxes. It's also clean cut and clear. Yeah, that's <laughs> We might like to put God in a box. <laughs> maybe, maybe. <laughs> It'd be good to see how well does he fit inside those boxes we put him in. Let me see if I can add a clarifying way to express this. I did not have an actual vision statement the moment I, I went there, but I realized I This is the one I would have had if I'd had it. Let me just read it and see if this seems like a good thing or a bad thing. So my vision was to serve him and the church by teaching, using using my company as a platform and business as access to disciple reaching influential people. Hmm. We talk within the business as mission movement mm-hmm. i've written about it yeah. business as a tool yes <laughs> so you're saying uh, we need to rewrite this well i don't want to say anything <laughs> i would prefer my friend be the one who corrects people's worldviews. i don't think i have the the right or the authority no. to do that but i am i am willing to let mine be transformed okay uh, you may be curious <laughs> So let's just take these apart into four segments or eight segments. What I eventually learned is that everything in that worldview, that vision statement out of my worldview was incorrect. It had a better expression. There was a better one that I could learn. And so I went through this probably multi-year process of being retrained by the Lord. And I believe it started one day with uh, a question from one of my really dear friends, one of the staff members, a gentleman who was the HR uh, manager at the time. And this person had gone through what they called the lost years. There was 10 years where there was really no education in China. And so he was a member, I think they called the lost generation. So he didn't really have a chance for formal education. It was all just propaganda in the schools then. And so he joined us. He taught himself ABCs when he was 28 years old. So was he a Christian? He was a Christian. Mm-hmm. He came into the company as a Christian. We only hired a couple of Christians, actually. And um, one day he confronted me after we'd been together probably three years with the reality that what we were experiencing is what God offers, it's a disappointment. And I was caught off guard. We were doing some 
Christian things, you know, we were we were kind of praying and we were seeing some successes. We were seeing answered prayer from time to time. So what did he mean? He meant that as he read the offer of the gospel in the scriptures, life abundantly, and then he looked around at our experience on a day-by-day basis, it wasn't that. It wasn't reaching the offer of the gospel. And so, but you say we saw some things happen. Can you explain? What we saw, I think, was what a typical American might expect to see. These would be activities that come out of our actions. So we pray and we get some answers, but we have to work at prayer. I mean, it's not easy. It's, it takes some discipline. It takes some discipline, and we were doing some of that. And sometimes there were people sharing the gospel and there were some people coming to the Lord. You celebrate that. Yeah, wonderful. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But it was kind of by technique. Do you know what I mean? It, was, it wasn't very spontaneous. And we could sort of always become the hero of the stories. So and I get good newsletters back home. <laughs> That's right. It's good, good content for the for the prayer support. That's right. And so I think what my friend was saying, and he had this wonderful background in a sense of not having an education. And so he was sort of free to think for himself. And his main education was the scriptures. That really was where he got his orientation to the world. And he just would look at our experience. And there's always maybe pressure and mistakes and issues and it just seemed to be sometimes compounding and it it didn't have that element of where's the peace where's the the joy in this why is this so gnarly you know it just seems to be okay we can get a few paragraphs for the prayer letter but it's hard and relationships are stressed and I mean, you're in a other culture. Oh, yeah. We have all the excuses. <laughs> of course, this is going to be hard, but compare yourself to other people. Yeah, we're surviving. We're doing good. Look at us compared to those guys over there. They're, they're not making They haven't made profit yet. We've made some profit. I found that's another, I don't know if it's an American thing. Well, you know, there's an enemy. Yes. So The problem with the enemy was my background did not prepare me for him and for the fight. We know how to answer the question if you say, do you believe in spiritual warfare? I go, well, of course, it's in the scriptures. But it was different than when during a, one summer, six of our employees came to me and they go, hey, boss, can you help me? I go, well, what's the matter? Someone woke me up in the middle of the night. Their hands were on my throat, choking me, but there was no person there. What do I do? And I think back to my seminary education, and I guess I missed that class. <laughs> I don't think we ever dealt with things like that. We thought of the enemy in a much more theoretical sense than an actual presence and a hostile presence at that. So Also getting at that the enemy works in our worldview, how we don't believe, kind of, Mm. like maybe there's more abundance to it. Yeah. I think that the enemy has created our worldview, (laughs) frankly, because if he can get me to settle for something much less than the authentic offer of the gospel and convince me, this is it, 
go for this. And I achieve some of that. I feel like, oh, I did it. I found the gospel. And you are pretty much a hero. I yes, mean, you're all that's the way right. in China. You're following God. And- that's exactly. I Let me put my personality out there for people to admire and respect and all that stuff. Yeah, that's a, it's a very American way to see life. Oh, well, we Dutch, maybe a little bit. <laughs> What I think caught my attention was the result of that one day being confronted by my friend when he said, it's just not what we should be experiencing. We're not there. We're not getting it. And it's my fault. I'm the leader. And I had to go to the Lord and say, Lord, is is Luke right? And I felt like he said, more than you know. <laughs> oh. <laughs> not only is he right, he's not even revealed all that you're doing wrong. So how long were you in China by this time? Three years, two, two, three years. Mm-hmm. It was beginning to happen. It was really stressful. And so I asked the Lord to show me. That this is probably when I began realizing that if I actually have a relationship with him, it, it can be a dialogue. And I can ask him any question I want at any time. And that's not something we were trained to do. In seminary, you're sort of trained as a graduate to believe the assumption, now you have it. You've figured it out. You've been taught the gospel. Now it's your job to defend it. When it was... Def- <laughs> to defend it. Yeah. <laughs> That's, right. You know, I thought share it, but... Kind well, of- yeah, we had a different <laughs> view of that. And what they meant is defend it against the other groups in the, in the kingdom. Why are we smarter than the other guys are? And I don't think it really matters which group you're talking about. I think they've all got the same dilemma. And so when I went defensive of the gospel, I kind of went stupid. I didn't want to keep learning stuff because I might find out I was wrong and I just spent a lot of money and years of education. I wouldn't want to find out I was wrong. And so now in China, with my friend's confrontation, I go to the Lord and I just ask for clarity. Lord, will you show me what I'm thinking that's incorrect and will you give me correct ideas? Will you replace it? And so let me just go back to those eight segments of the vision statement because this is one way to kind of clarify what what would be different than what we started with. So I started with the phrase, I would serve him. This is, again, and I, I love my country, but I don't love all of the cultural trappings that I picked up. We love our independence. And when I hear the phrase, I will serve him, I can see myself as the hero. There's the pioneer, there's the committed person. I mean, whole Hollywood is... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. I love those movies, though. <laughs> but I would replace that eventually with this idea. Instead of me serving him, I think I should just abide in him, with him. They sound close, but they're worlds apart in the way they function. If I'm going to, let's say that we just look at the issue of self-initiation or when I originate an idea, I come, time I was asked to speak on the subject of good leadership and I Googled what are traits of good leadership and one came up, self-initiative, that's what it is. In the phrase, I would serve him, there is an indication that I need to show some self-initiative. I I'm going to serve him. So I get to kind of decide how that works. You know? That's good leadership, right? Yes, yeah, great leadership characteristics. That's what you find when you Google what are good leadership traits. And self-initiative is one of the major ones. The problem I found is Jesus never did it. 
the scriptures say he never did anything from self-initiative. Oh, yeah. Man, I really need to be re-educated. <laughs> I'm initiated, so maybe I need to repent tonight. Okay, <laughs> go well, on, Bill. So what's the op- what is the option here? And I discovered in Scripture that the option is just to abide, which means I'm like the branch, he's the vine. I just want to hang on. I just want to stay connected to him. I just want to always be listening to him. So does that mean I go sit on the couch, look to the birds, and wait? (laughs) I am not going to advise anybody what they need to do. (laughs) But I would say in my journey, it didn't mean that. But it did mean turning my ear to him. And my opinion is, looking from heaven, he doesn't have many people who do that. And so anyone who does it with seriousness, they immediately get a response. So I still can have ideas, initiate, but maybe listen a bit more, closer, or talk about things with him. You can always talk about things with him. And what are the ways that he gives us designs? And we've you know, built well over 50 machines he gave us designs for. He would actually give it to us in pieces, in little bits. We, we talk about it like breadcrumbs. So at one point I needed a, a machine designed and he gave me a design on a Monday and I did a computerization of it and began buying parts later in the week. And then the next Monday he gave me a different design for it, better one. And so I repeated the process on the third week, a third design, it went seven weeks. And you bought all these parts? We started by You them. started? Yeah. Apparently, he's not upset with the money. He's got lots. So. Weren't you upset? I, well, I was. I was curious. <laughs> and so I asked him, just from the point, I thought you were into efficiency. I thought efficiency was wise, and you're really wise. So this seems very inefficient. Why didn't you give me the best design to begin with? And his response, again, I feel it in my heart, was, I don't do this to get the machines built. I do this because you're willing to hang out with me. Which really broke up my perception of our relationship. Because now I'm having to deal with the reality. Are you saying you want to spend time with me? With me? Why would you want to spend time with me? And then I began to realize that's possibly what love looks like. And I thought, Oh, he's, he needs me in the kingdom. He needs me to take my place. He needs me to you know, learn how to fight for him and do a lot of kind of stuff. And that's a part of it. But I didn't have a category for thinking that he actually likes me. And yet in scripture, you can find that all over the place. Even in the basics of he so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Talking for myself, you know, it's more like God, here I am. With my hands open, <laughs> show me what to do. Yeah. Which is it's a little bit different than a close friendship, maybe. <laughs> yeah. So now I use the words us instead of me. What what do we want to do? So instead of what going I... back to your yeah. um, rewriting your statement, mm-hmm. your mission statement. The first one was I would serve him. Uh-huh. And now I, I would abide with him. And the second was, I was going to serve him and the church. Now he's revealing to me about the kingdom. We didn't study the kingdom in seminary. We only studied not the church, but our version of it, our denomination. The kingdom is in scripture is a really important uh, subject. They went around preaching its gospel, the gospel of 
the kingdom. And I had to realize, oh, I don't think I had that class. <laughs> I think I need to go back and look at what it is. And the more I read in the scripture. How would you explain the kingdom? It's his project. It's, it's the activity of the day. So some groups think that because God is said to be sovereign, things are somewhat fixed, meaning it's, it's done. And we're kind of waiting time to get through this experience that he's already predetermined for another realm, you know, a new heaven, new earth, that kind of thing. I did a, a search on the word sovereignty and found out that in places it means that God can re-engage whenever he wants to. Instead of everything is happening the way it's supposed to, it would be, oh, sovereign Lord, come down and change things. You remind me of one of my favorite uh, theologians, N.T. White, mm -hmm. and he refers to it as a play. Yes. You know, it's like we are on stage. Yes. And it's important to study the line of the story. Yes. To study the characters. Right. But now we are to play out. You have a part. That's right. And so as I learn more about this, I realize, oh, The same way I was transferred from the kingdom of darkness and transferred to the kingdom of God's beloved son, maybe today he wants somebody else in my realm of influence to experience the same thing. I wonder if he can use me for that. I'd better be available, that kind of thing. And so within our company structure, I began to go to work and spend eight to five with this mentality that I'm now in this environment that... The Lord is actually operating in. He knows the lives of every employee. He knows their hurts. He knows their calling. He knows their destinies. So you think differently instead of going into the space of work like like a fisherman. Who can I catch to judge? Yes, <laughs> I, yeah, yes, yes. I'm <laughs> making it very simple. Precisely. But now you're going into the realm of work where you say, hey, God is here. Mm-hmm. Where is he working? How is he working? And how can I participate in it? Do I understand this? How right? can we participate? Yeah, I would uh, gain an awareness that he's always interested in people's lives. He's always engaged. So he's at work too. And this is probably one of the major differences from before. I thought I would go to work eight to five, get a visa, and that would be good. Have an explanation for why I was there. But that wouldn't be the important part of the time. The important part was after work when I could go do what we ministry. call ministry. <laughs> That's right. And so instead, he began to enter the lives of my employees They became Christians, not because of me, but because of his work and largely through just kind of the correct balance of a person who had a gift of evangelism. Oh, you just saying this, this raises so much question. I would love to go into this. But... <laughs> I'll go back to the beginning of the new version, which I would abide with him and benefit his kingdom instead of the church. If the church is kingdom focused, it's essential. I'm absolutely in favor and love with the church, but it needs to be kingdom focused. Otherwise, it might be one of the churches in the book of Revelation that's about to have its plug pulled because it's not kingdom centered. And instead of teaching, I now am going to model so besides having a language issue, because I'm still learning Mandarin, he actually specifically told me to not speak. But to not speak. He said, I want you to do the gospel. And I didn't have a category for that. This came about because one of my staff members was a person who had spent 22 years in prison and was now out of prison on a waiting list to go to the U.S. 
And that list was eight years long, but he had waited seven and a half years. So he only had a half a year left, and he could leave China and go to visit relatives in the U.S. One day he said, Bill, we need to pray about something. And at that time, I was living a segmented life. I didn't pray at work. I didn't bring any of that to work. I thought it was somewhat dangerous. And I said, are you sure? And he said, yes, we have to. So we went to my office, closed the door, pulled the blinds, and prayed quietly for 10 minutes about some problem. And that night, the police went to his home, informed him that because he prayed with me, he would not be allowed to leave the country. Oh, you were closely watched. Yes, apparently. They knew everything they wanted to know. Well, I, I got mad at God. I said, hey, I know you brought me here, but I can't open my mouth without getting people in trouble. What am I supposed to do? And his answer was immediate. He said, well, why don't you just shut up? Excuse me. Sometimes he talks a little bit edgy. And I go, I don't have a category for that. He said, you don't have to talk about it. I just want you, and the phrase he used was, to do the gospel. Eventually, I realized he meant just love the people I put into your care. I realized, oh, this is so different than what I thought. I thought I get to be the hero. Now I just, I just to listen and love people. <laughs> it's a very different role. And then he taught me something else. Instead of using the company as a platform, like we talked about before, which is very common, he said, I want you to use his company to build a fellowship. And that's what we actually did get. So instead of me using a business as a tool for his purposes, uh -huh. I mean, it sounds pretty good. It does. <laughs> but you say his company. Yeah. Oh, there's a whole other mindset. I mean, of course we give our businesses to God, right? Well, there's a difference between doing it intellectually and believing you actually do it. <laughs> There's a ministry called the 18-inch journey. It takes about 10 years to go from, from I believe it, I, I understand it, but I don't actually live it out. So most of the growth was learning to actually do what we say we believe. I mean, I heard you at the BAM Congress here last November in the Netherlands. And as a little remark, oh yeah, I gave that business away. God said, you know, it's it's a new category. So I'm not sure if we will have any followers anymore within the band movement here in the Netherlands. The thing is, oh, run away. It's very dangerous, right? That's right. If we don't have to give our businesses tomorrow away to our friend or uh, yeah. our enemy or whoever, what does it mean, Bill? Look at the phrase you just used. If we don't have to give our business away. We're starting with the assumption that we actually get one. So I would say now, I, as a steward, I will never own anything. I won't own a business. I won't own a home. I won't own a bank account. As an actual steward, I will be entrusted with a lot that belongs to my master. And I have the opportunity to steward it. It's actually the key to responding or relating to the physical realm and how a house or car or boat will not be dangerous to you spiritually. The way to do that is to, if you have a desire for it, take that desire to him, get him to confirm it, and then get him to pay for it. Then if he pays for it, it's a gift to you. And every time you use it, you're drawn to him. And if he wants to give it to somebody else, all he has to tell, tell you is, let's give it to somebody else. And you give it away. You, you don't ever get attached, but you get to enjoy a lot of things. <laughs> it's really quite fun. So let me come back and finish yeah, up. You, my... you don't look like a, come across as a beggar, but no. <laughs> okay, challenging. So instead of using business as access, 
he showed us how to use the business itself as the ministry. So there was a point uh, when we had a couple hundred employees when the majority became believers in about six months. And I had nothing to do with it, really, other than kind of setting us. But I wasn't the one talking. We, we, we'll, we'll go back to this and talk about the strategy. But okay. for now, you can... But can you imagine if you walk into a building and you're the boss of the company that operates there and there's 150 new believers... And now they're watching you. So you enter the workday, eight to five. Now that becomes the richest time of the day. You're not to talk to them. You're to demonstrate the gospel to them. What does that mean? So that becomes this incredible adventure of learning what does it actually mean mm -hmm. to demonstrate the gospel. To do that forces the other thing we talked about, which is the abiding. With my husband, we were nine years on board mm -hmm. Mercy Ships. And so I can relate to that, that we did our discipleship training school for three months. We yes. had all the mindset, yes. but our actually real training, <laughs> our real discipleship training was nine years on uh, a small ship, no air conditioning. <laughs> I sometimes <laughs> refer to it as a, you know, the steam cooker <laughs> with 40 different nationalities, 500 yes. people, many ba different backgrounds. But there's where the rubber hits the road. What does it mean? Yeah. How do I forgive love? Exactly. Let me ask you the next two things on this revised vision statement, if you found those on the boat. Earlier, I was kind of taught find the influential people in this community and reach them, then they will reach others. I think that's a great idea. But in my case, it was not to be done. Instead, the Lord changed it to find faithful people. And so the most significant friends of mine in this business relative to kingdom fruit were people with a fifth grade education. Mm -hmm. They weren't influential. They actually became very influential, but they wouldn't have seemed influential from the first interview. Well, thinking back of my time with Mercy Ships, it was hospital ships. Yes. And they ministered to the poor of the poor. Yes. And what we found is that work also opened doors to all kind of levels of society. I wanted to know if you found faithful people were more helpful on the boat than influential people. Faithful people were bringing more unity to the community <laughs> than those really smart people. The, the other thing was that I was going to really try to find those influential people who would then, you know, kind of manifest their influence for us. Instead, I wanted to find faithful people who would simply obey. Mm -hmm. It turns out that their simple obedience to what God says was more powerful in the kingdom than the influential people's influence. I'm thinking of the bread and the fish. Yeah. How God can, when we're faithful and when we're willing mm -hmm. to follow, He can multiply. Yeah, let me summarize it and we'll wrap it up. So it became my vision statement. I would abide with him and benefit the kingdom by modeling, using his company to build a fellowship and a business as a ministry, reaching faithful people who would obey. Well, thank you, Bill. It's been uh, stimulating to <laughs> hear you and to talk with you. Thank you so much. Hey, I really enjoy these talks and the hope that we'll have many more of them. Yes, we plan to. This was Gea Gort from the Netherlands. 
In two weeks' time, we'll release another episode of Kingdom Keys for Business. Follow us at your favorite podcast app or find us at bammoves.com so you won't miss the next one.